Our second scripture reading comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 20. St. Paul is writing to the church way back then, and God is using these words to speak to us today. Listen. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to say welcome to you all once again this morning on this kind of festive uh, Sunday, uh, worshiping together. Hi to those who are worshiping online again on YouTube and on Facebook. We're glad you're tuning in with us. And to all of you here in person, I want to say hi and hello to the Boy Scout troop uh, and families who are here. Uh, we're so glad to have you in worship and, and uh, to see, have you leading with us as well this day. To our high school Mexico mission team, commissioned and ready to be sent. Great to see you here in the front. I'll look you right in the eye the whole time. Um, keep an eye on you. It's good to be together on a Sunday like this. Have any of you ever heard of a uh, beach in Half Moon Bay called Mavericks? Ever been to Mavericks? Yeah, it's like a famous surf spot. Um, there it is. It's probably uh, one of the most famous surf spots in California, one of the few big wave locations in Northern California. People come from around the world to surf Mavericks. And so about a year ago, I went to Mavericks for the first time. And I brought my kids along because I knew they would be so proud of me when they saw me out there surfing with the pros. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't get in the water at all. Are you crazy? People die in Mavericks. You don't want to go in that water. Um, but I did go, and we took a walk along the path, along the coast there by Mavericks Beach into Half Moon Bay. It was a beautiful day in November 2020. And my dad was there, and my cousin, and my sister and her kids, along with my kids. And we just went to walk and enjoy being together and being outside. As we walked, some people looked at the ocean and the, and, the sand, and the waves, and they said, wow, I wonder how all this was formed. And it's a good question, because under the water there at Mavericks Beach, there's this long slope, and then when the water hits it, it funnels the, it funnels the water, and it controls the power of the waves, and then it unleashes it. And that's why there's this huge surf break that's there. And um, it's sort of this geological wonder that forms the waves in that place. And for me, I was most impressed as we walked along with the cliffs that were right along the side. They're so high and jagged, they were just begging me to come and climb on them, um, which I did. Uh, I took a few kids who were too young to be climbing, and we scrambled up just to see if we could. It's always, it's always the best that way when you're outside, you know, when you find little adventures. It's just like nature's playground, just to be outside, taking advantage of that. While we were walking, actually, on this beach there at Mavericks, we ran into some friends uh, who we hadn't seen in a while. You know, we hadn't seen anybody in a while. This was part of kind of deepest COVID. And it was so amazing to be there. Somebody said, I love it. This is the most social I've been since COVID happened. We all needed that human contact, even if it was outdoors, even if it was with masks. 
my dad was there walking along with us, and a lot of you know that he was a pastor, and that before he was a pastor, he was a police officer, and before he was a police officer, he was a merchant marine working on oil tankers out in the ocean. And my dad loves all things about the sea. And he looked at this scene as we walked, and he said, this reminds me of a poem. I must go down to the seas again, to the lonely seas and sky, and all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. And all of us were experiencing this one same true reality of a day at the beach. But I wonder who had it right. Was it the naturalists who were asking about how the wave breaks were made and why it happened to be that way? Was it the adventurers climbing around on the cliffs and rocks? Was it the socialites walking and talking and sipping coffee as they caught up? Was it the poets who let this scene seep into their minds, their hearts, and their souls. I think that all of us can see one thing, a day at the beach, and we can experience it, we can understand it, we can come to know its truth and power in different ways. There are a variety of modes or approaches that each of us takes into a single experience. In our New Testament reading today, St. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, which is a city located in modern-day Greece. And he's telling them about this core part of the Christian faith, which has to do with the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the way that Paul is doing it, and you heard this in the reading a minute ago, the way he is explaining this reality is through this kind of almost logical, mathematical approach. Did you notice that? It's like he's saying, if x plus 3 equals 9, then solve for x. You know what I'm saying? Do we have one of these? Yeah. Um, what, what would that be? You sure? Yes. This is not higher math. This is regular math. <laughs> I had to make sure that I got that right before I came out here. Paul is using an approach to, to, to this reality of the resurrection at the, at the center of our faith, kind of like that math problem in a way. He's trying to speak to them in logical terms about the reality of the resurrection. This is what he says. If there is no such thing as the resurrection, meaning no new life out of death, then Jesus was not raised from the dead because such a thing couldn't be. Then he says, if that's true, then we're still stuck in our sins because, because Jesus didn't rise from death to conquer those sins, so death has the final word. And if that's true, then those who have died already, those who died even with faith, well, then they're just dust because we're saying none of this ever happened. And if that's true, then we're really most to be pitied because that means we don't have any hope. If all that's true, then we don't have any hope. And then he ends by saying, but the good news is Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has conquered death. He has forgiven our sins. And he has given us the promise of eternal life. Woo! That's a lot of um, ifs and thens to put into this statement to get to the point he's trying to make. The reality of the resurrection of Christ stands in, in the center place of our, of our faith. In it, we find hope. In it, we find life. So I don't know about you. I don't know how you think or how you approach these things. But for me, I have never found a logical way into Christian faith that works for me. It's not my way. I know that some people, that is their pathway. Some folks have been given enough convincing proofs and airtight reasoning and logical if-thens that has led them on the path towards faith. And I honor that. I thank God for that. 
It wasn't my way. So I speak to you today not as one who has found the logical syllogisms uh, that make sense. We all grow up in faith with different uh, entry points, different pathways that lead us to this core truth. So we need to hear about the reality of God's resurrection power, but we need to hear it the way that Emily Dickinson puts it in her poem, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. It's not a math problem to be solved. It's not a logical syllogism to construct, and it's certainly not a stick to hit anybody with. One of the things I notice about Jesus in his teaching is that he always tells the truth, but he really tells it slant. He loves to use metaphor. He loves to use parable. He loves to tell stories. Jesus, think about this. Jesus gives a a farming story, like an agrarian metaphor. Here's what he says. A single seed, if it just stays a seed, dies. Nothing to it. But if that single seed is planted in the ground and it dies, and it goes deep into the earth, it returns to life. It becomes a wheat stalk that grows up out of the earth. The seed has to go into the ground and die to itself. It used to be a seed. It's not anymore. And it's changed into something new by this sort of mysterious power. We can be naturalists and scientists who want to know the exact process by which it works, but it's a metaphor. It's telling it slant. He's talking about resurrection life. He's telling it another way. He's giving us just a little picture of what resurrection is like. There's a guy in our church who works in the construction industry, and uh, he sent me a picture from his work site. He wanted to show me the kind of work he's doing. Here it is. And um, part of his story is he told me that he is, he's now sober after years of addiction and all that comes with it. He told me that the guys that he works on this work site with, they're all also in the recovery community together. Every guy on his work site is in recovery. They've come out of alcohol or drug use or other abuse, and they are now pursuing a new life. And I was struck by this kind of metaphor within a metaphor, you know? They're building a house, they're constructing a building, while they're also constructing a life, their own life, their new life. Christian faith is part of that for them. He said, God and recovery go hand in hand. So this is a little picture of resurrection moving from death to life. It's a living example of what God's power looks like. So let me ask you this question just as we're talking about this topic today. Um, What's the way that God is at work in those places of death or loss mixed up things in your life, where's God at work to bring new life? Where's the need that you have for God to do something in you? What's something that you need to turn over to God? Maybe today, you've been turning it over in your mind, you've been carrying it in your heart, you've been feeling it in your body. What would that be that you need to say to God, I want to give this to you. Let you be the one who can turn this from death into life. What would that be? I had a football coach back in high school, and uh, he used to call us together and say, take a knee, guys, take a knee, take a knee. So we'd all come in and take a knee. And he'd say, football is 90% mental, only 10% physical. I'd say, okay. And his point was, if you come with the right mindset, if you have the right attitude, if you really believe in yourself, you can do almost anything. 
And that's true, right? We've seen that. We're little guys. We really can take on the big guy, something like that. But then he'd send us out to do tackling drills. And things worked a little differently. Um, I'll show you a picture of this guy. Um, this is Jabari Issa. He was on our team. He played at the University of Washington. He played in the NFL. He, played, he had a career in uh, professional football in Canada. Um, so my freshman year, he played with me. And that 10%, 90% thing didn't seem to match up. And <laughs> there comes a point in life when the physical really matters, right? There's a place for the mental game, and we can, there's a place for the, the way we turn something over to God and say, God, I want you to hold this and change this. I can't do it. But there's also a point where the rubber hits the road, and it comes in the physical form when you're hitting this guy, or I guess he's hitting you. Um, and you're hitting the floor, I think, is how it finishes. Um, here's my point in saying this, is that to, for us to experience the resurrection power of Jesus, to do a work in us, to bring us to new life, it isn't just in our heads. It can't just be a mental game. It, can't, um, it has to in, encounter the physical world, the places we go, and the people we are with. The guys on that construction site know that. They know that they can't do this alone. They can't stay sober alone. They need a community of accountability sharing their same goal. You know, we're not a recovery community per se, although some of us in here are, but we are people who share the same goal of growing up in a faith in Jesus Christ, understanding what that means, what it looks like, what it takes, what it costs. So we're on that road together, and, and the physical part of that is, is, is being in a church. The word church, it means a gathering. And when we are gathered together, when we are with fellow believers, when we're in the body of Christ, we're made stronger because of it. God's resurrection power is at work in our midst. So when you're thinking about that place in your own life where, um, where deeds and needs meet, or the place where you are on your journey of faith that isn't finished, I want to remind you that doing that as part of a body of Christ, as part of our church family, is so important. There's the physical, this is the physical, the social, the relational side of faith. You can't do it alone. It doesn't work that way. Showing care to somebody when they're having a hard time can't really happen that well at a great distance. You've got to get close. You can't build a house in Mexico just on Zoom. You can't show a tenderfoot how to set up their tent if you're not around to do it. There are parts of our life that we can only experience, and I'm talking about our faith life, our life with God, that we can only experience when we're connected to others in a like-minded community. That's the way of, we have a way of being resurrection people, not just on our own, but all together. Easter Sunday is sometimes called Resurrection Day, but in a way, every Sunday is a little Resurrection Day because we're reminded again of the resurrection power at work in us by the power of Christ. So I want to finish uh, this, is, this, this short sermon today. I've already referenced two um, sermons, or two uh, poems, but I want to give you one more. And this, is, this is a great poem to hear. It's by Ste uh, Stephen Levine, and it's called, If Prayer Would Do It. Listen. If prayer would do it, I'd pray. If reading esteemed thinkers would do it, I'd be halfway through the patriarchs. If discourse would do it, I'd be sitting with his holiness every moment that he was free. If contemplation would do it, I'd have translated the periodic table to hermit poems, converting matter into spirit. If even fighting would do it, I'd already be a black belt. 
If anything other than love could do it, I'd have done it already and left the hardest part for last. Love is what does it. It's God's love for us that's on display in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's our love for each other and our neighbors that lets that resurrection life grow up in us and show up in us. So in the great words of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love abide, remain, these three. And the greatest of these is love. May it be so for you today. Amen.